Past Dark is intended for adults only. Listener discretion is advised. You're traveling alone on a moonless night through one of the loneliest corners of Scotland. And sometime in the late Middle Ages, and traveling at night is dangerous and rarely done. You'd set out from the coast, with the long sunsets of the west guiding you along the clear, wide Roman road, ancient even then. But the Galloway hills above you are shrouded in a descending fog, and home lies somewhere off a dark, rutted path that veers sharply off into the hinterlands, so narrow that no carriage can enter. You know you have many miles to walk, and pausing in the listening darkness, your worry grows. You know this way, you tell yourself, staring off into the void, but your confidence rings false. A broken ankle is among the least of your worries. In this sparsely populated place, you know you will pass no other traveler for the rest of the evening, and those you might meet will not have good intentions. But the thought of staying the night, cowering in the crook of a tree, waiting for fate, somehow filled you with greater dread. Because you've heard stories. People vanish here. A few too many people. Thousands, perhaps. Sometimes they find pieces washed along the same shore you just left behind. And you know there are hiding places all along the coast, riddled with caves and coves, big enough for anyone to hide in. Bandits, pirates, even an entire family. For this is the place that gave birth to the terrifying legend of a murderous, incestuous, cannibalistic clan known as the Sawney Beam. This family of nearly 50 members were said to have lived a mile deep in the caves off the southwest coast, subsisting entirely on human flesh in their bone-strewn lair. So ghoulish is the tale that it is easy to pass it off as a fable, or even anti-Scottish propaganda sown by the English. But this legend has a basis in fact, as we will see but it is best that our traveler not know this. Walk faster. It's past dark. In the southernmost of Scotland, at the very end of the country, lies the region of Dumfries and Galloway. At its eastern end, it shares a border with England for 96 miles, the only land border in the whole of Scotland. To the west, there is the sea, and hundreds of miles of coastline, reaching up into the Hebrides. Picts, 
Romans, Saxons, Vikings and Irish have all left their traces here. Border wars with the English went on for centuries, spawning outlaws known as border reavers, who raided both sides without regard for nationality. For much of its history, Galloway was viewed as a lawless, remote place, and today is the least populated region of Scotland. The story of Sawney Bean first enters written history in the Newgate Calendar, a series of dispatches not unlike a modern-day tabloid, containing the sordid stories and last words of a variety of executed criminals the Newgate calendar fell into the category of so-called improving literature, meant to warn and uplift in equal measure. First published in 1773, it was named after the Newgate prison in London and was often sold in broadsheet form right outside the prison gates. Along with the Bible, it was the most popular book of its time. This legend begins in East Lothian near Edinburgh, where one Alexander Bean is born sometime in the 16th century to a ditch digger and his wife. Said to be lazy and shiftless, he falls in with a woman known as Black Agnes, who, by some accounts, was known as a witch. He becomes a journeyman thief, eventually setting up residence in a cave along the southwest coast near the town of Girvan. Obscured until the lowest tides, the entrance ran for 200 yards into the cliffside to a massive inner cavern said to span a mile and completely devoid of all light. Making a home in this dark, dank place for a period of 25 years were Black Agnes, Sawney, and their children, who created, from their incestuous relations, more children. In the account from the Newgate calendar, it is said that the family produced eight sons, six daughters, 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters, and all surviving on human flesh. The roads through Galloway, such as they were in the Middle Ages, were said to be plagued by countless disappearances. Certainly reavers, pirates, and highwaymen were a fact of life, but generally they were satisfied to merely rob and pillage. Murders were almost always motivated by greed, and easily understood as such by the bodies left behind. But this greed was of a different sort, and so bodies were rarely found. Until one evening, a man and his wife were passing through the hills on their way home from the fair. Quoting the Newgate calendar, In the conflict, the poor woman fell from behind him, and was instantly murdered before her husband's face. For the female cannibals cut her throat and fell to sucking her blood with as great a gusto as if it had been wine. This done, they ripped up her belly and pulled out all of her entrails. Such a dreadful spectacle made the man make the more obstinate resistance, as expecting the same fate if he fell into their hands. It pleased Providence, while he was engaged, that twenty or thirty from the same fair came together in a body, upon which Sawney Bean and his bloodthirsty clan withdrew, and made the best of their way through a thick wood to their den. After this, 
the entire company headed off to the provost of Glasgow, who summoned King James VI to tell him of the murderous clan, the very same king who sponsored the English translation of the authorized King James Bible. James was also the author of Demonology, a book that claims to expose the black arts, and which inflamed the great Scottish witch hunts in which hundreds of women were put to death for witchcraft. As the legend goes, the king gathers a force of 400 men to rout out the Bean clan in their coastal cave, following the scent of the royal hounds. Upon entering, they discovered there barrels full of pickled limbs and human thighs hanging like sides of beef throughout, with piles of bones tossed into dark corners, and pale children cowering in the light of their flickering torches. The whole body of the clan was rounded up and taken in chains to the toll booth in Edinburgh for execution. The men were dismembered alive and died slowly, while the women and children were burned at the stake. Or so says the legend recounted numerous times and used to fuel the plots of such films as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, becoming the main inspiration behind Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. But despite its inclusion among other documented crimes in the Newgate calendar, it appears at first glance that the legend is largely an invention. Scholars and researchers over the years have tried to substantiate the story, emerging from their pursuit with not a single shred of evidence. There is, in fact, no written record or even a mention of the Sawney Bean prior to the 18th century. This omission is even stranger, considering that the rule of King James is one of the most documented reigns in British history, with even such minutiae as household expenses noted for posterity. Yet there is no record of the massive expenditure of a force of 400 men, and no mention in any biography of King James about such a momentous happening as the arrest and execution of an entire family of cannibals. Nor are there any judicial records or first-hand contemporary accounts of either the crimes or the scores of missing who would have undoubtedly been noticed in a country whose total population during this time would have only numbered about a million, a number continually impacted by famines and plagues. Adding to the doubt is the fact that Sony was a derogatory term for the Scottish by the English, as Paddy is a slur for the Irish. Anti-Scot sentiment was rife in the Middle Ages, especially along the hundred miles of war-riven track that connected the two countries. The Scottish were seen as savage, a people living beyond the pale, a phrase coined by the English to describe those who lived past the palings or pickets around English settlements, beyond the bounds that struck a line between the civilized world and the barbarian. It is easy to consider the Middle Ages as so far removed from our own time that to substantiate a fact in our modern forensic matter would be nearly impossible. Certainly there is some truth to the idea that a lack of written evidence doesn't necessarily close the book on this legend. But it is also true that history is written by the victors, and it's typical of victors to smear their enemies with sordid tales. To call the Scots savage is to make them less than human, 
and a bloodthirsty, barely sane clan of incestuous cannibals would certainly qualify the beans, and therefore the Scots, as less than human. Taken together, these facts urge us to consider this tale as nothing more than legend told round the hearth, a tale told to inflame and empower the English in their wars with the Scots. There was indeed no Sawney Bean. But there was Christy Cleek. Legend tends to emerge from mundane fact, which is passed around and reshaped by future generations until the tale is worn as smooth as a mirror, and what we see reflected is ourselves. Carry a legend all the way back to its source, however, and the raw facts can be more terrifying than the hyperbole of legend. Christy Cleek, or Christy of the Cleek, was named Alexander Christy, born in Perth, Scotland, sometime in the early 1300s. This is also around the time of the Great Famine of Europe, a period of devastation that ended two centuries of growth and prosperity, which was shortly followed by the Black Death, which killed as many as 75 million people worldwide, or an estimated 60% of the entire population of Europe. Some towns reported a loss of 80% of their population, while other villages died out completely. Scotland itself lost up to a quarter of its people, and the population would not recover its pre-plague population until the 17th century. The Great Famine brought malnutrition and weakened immunity, which laid the way for the devastation wrought by the plague. But these traumas extended far beyond loss of life. For a terrified populace who did not comprehend the true causes of weather changes, crop failures, and disease, prejudice and superstition provided them. Starvation and death were believed to be a punishment from God, so appeasing God became an obsession. Cults of flagellation, in which the penitents whipped themselves with nail-studded belts and rods until the blood flowed, arose throughout Europe. The Catholic Church went into overdrive, selling relics and masses for the dead, while some of their own priests refused to visit the poor who sometimes died on their very doorsteps. This left many commoners to rely instead on prayers to various saints, the advice of astrologers and sorcerers, and, when all else failed, a white cross painted on the front door. And, as is so often the case, these traumas led to accusations against the Jewish people, who seemed to suffer far fewer deaths from the plague than other populations, due probably to their more careful hygiene. This led to the extermination of the Jewish community in hundreds of small villages and towns throughout Europe, some who set fire to their own homes in an act of suicide, rather than be carried away and murdered by the mob. Countless others fled to the east and to Russia. The overwhelming death toll and upheaval caused Europe to fall into a protracted state of gloom and pessimism. This darkness is reflected in the literature and art of the time, where depictions of death creeping through cities or lurking at bedsides became commonplace. 
Many written accounts of the time have an apocalyptic tone, as if the world itself were coming to an end. It is against such a backdrop that Alexander Christie emerges out of history, a butcher from Perth who flees to the Grampian Mountains of northern Scotland during a time of famine, falling in with a party of scavengers wandering the foothills in search of game. History tells of a serious famine in the area in 1340, a decade before the plague lands in Scotland. Hollingshed's Chronicles published in 1577, but referencing the year 1341, writes, In the same year, or in the year following, there was such a miserable death, both through England and Scotland, that the people were driven to eat the flesh of horses, dogs, cats, and such like unused kinds of meats, to sustain their languishing lives with all, yea, insomuch that there was a Scottish man, an uplandish fellow named Tristacloak, spared not to steal children and to kill women, on whose flesh he fed as if he had been a wolf. Tristacloak, as he is called in this account, is a name that warrants a closer look. Certainly Tristy can be easily derived from Christy, with the tumbling consonants of the Scottish brogue possibly obscuring the C and the T, as it is passed around by storytellers. Cloak, or cleek, as it is usually and popularly known, is a word meaning a large metal hook. It can also be used as a verb, as in to snatch. Christie of the cleek earned his name by waylaying victims along lonely roads, cleeking them off of their horses with a five-foot-long handled hook, with the other members of his band bringing their cliques in before and behind, trapping both man and horse, and dragging them away to be eaten. Another account of the same man is found in Andrew of Winton's original Chronicle of Scotland from 1420, where he refers to a figure called Criston Cleek, who, during a time of, quote, say great default, that money were in hunger dead, children and women for to slay, and swains that he might overtake, and ate them all that he might get. Christy Cleek is also mentioned in John McKay Wilson's Tales of the Border. A collection began in the early 1800s, comprised of local stories gathered from the people and published weekly in broadsheet form. In this story, Christy's band are mentioned as progressing from unwilling, half-starved wretches who began eating human flesh out of brutal necessity to, quote, a banquet of cannibals, who attacked their victims gleefully and howled over their bodies as they were devoured. Naturally, such strange cacophony rising out of the forest night after night was eventually noticed, and the authorities were alerted in Perth and sent to capture the man-eaters. 
piles of bones from their lair were gathered and painstakingly sorted to attest to a total of 30 victims, but there could have been likely more. Of the 15 in Christie's band, over half were captured and executed, but the rest, including Christie of the clique himself, escaped, and legend has him becoming a prosperous Dumfries merchant who marries, raises three daughters, and lives a peaceful and blameless life. Upon his deathbed decades later, he summons his wife to his bedside and whispers in his last moments that he was Christie of the clique. As with any tale, corroboration from literary sources alone can never stand as sure proof that a thing occurred. So inasmuch as anything can be proven, Christie of the Clique has the feel of an actual event. It has corroboration, contemporary accounts. And had not the more virulent legend of Sawney being supplanted it, we might still speak of it more readily today instead of the journalistic invention of a broadsheet hack. But certainly, Christie of the Clique existed as boogeyman for centuries of children from the 1400s onward. Cannibalism in Scotland was undoubtedly real. It is mentioned as far back as the year 380 AD in a passage by St. Jerome. The historian Robert Chambers in his Book of Days from 1862 quotes the saint as mentioning the, quote, Atticotti, the people of the country now called Scotland, while hunting in the woods, preferred the shepherd to his flock. And lastly, it should be mentioned that we find in the judicial documents from the time of Christie Clique, the mention of a man and woman from Perth who were put to death for the crime of cannibalism. Past Dark is written and produced by Carmen Park. Original music by Skillhack.